listening to KHOL. This is Jackson Unpacked, our weekly podcast on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and the Mountain West. I'm news director Kyle Mackey. Coming up on today's show, a new family-run market in Teton Valley is catering to the local Latino community. It's another opportunity for Mexicans to eat the foods they like. Plus, the local band Ticket to Space chats about creating music inspired by the mountains. We have too many distractions in life, and there's nothing like getting out on a potter day, getting up in the mountains, being solely focused on getting those turns in. But first, as real estate values continue to skyrocket in Jackson Hole, that means property taxes are rising as well. In many cases, that's making it more difficult for older folks on fixed incomes to continue to live in Teton County. KHOL's Will Walkie reports on a proposed solution that could put tax revenues back into the pockets of longtime locals. Rick Jansen describes himself as a semi-retired blue-collar worker. He's been a carpenter for the majority of his career and grew up in Teton County. We made a little stint and moved to Denver for a short period of time, a very short period of time. And we decided we did not like city life, so we came back to Jackson and We've been here in Jackson ever since. Jansen finished building his current home south of town in 1980. It has his workshop off to the side of a garage, where an elk he recently shot is hanging out to dry when I come to visit. Jansen says he's seen a lot change in town, but he has no intentions of leaving the area if he can help it. No matter how much development that goes on, they can't change the mountains, they can't change the lakes, and they can't change the beauty of the area. However, Jansen's worried that forces outside of his control might force him to move. As evidence, he shows me a spreadsheet where he's been documenting his property taxes for more than a decade. They've more than doubled since 2014. And just last year, his check went up nearly 30%. That's a trend he says is becoming too much for a lot of his peers, who are asset-rich but cash-poor. We've gone to a lot of garage sales this past summer, and I've talked to the owners because I know who they are. And I ask them, why are you leaving? And it's, well, we're tired of paying the property taxes. We can't afford it. Jansen is 74, making some income remodeling houses in addition to receiving Social Security checks. If he ever sold his Jackson home, he says the cash he'd make wouldn't support his lifestyle unless he left the area. I'm actually working for the tax man, really. because I'm trying to make enough money through the year to be able to pay the taxes when the tax bill is due. And this year we had some additional expenses, and so that's why I did not have enough to cover my taxes for the year, and my brother stepped in and helped me pay them. Teton County Assessor Melissa Schinkel says home values, depending on what area of Jackson Hole they're in, have doubled, tripled, or in some cases quadrupled since she took office just four years ago. In 2021, the total number of real estate transactions actually went down compared to 2020 in Teton County. But total sales volume increased to the tune of 84%, according to one report. I think people are going to be very upset when they open their assessments this year. And my laughter is not out of ha-ha, it's nervous laughter, believe me. Part of Schinkel's job is to monitor real estate sales, property deterioration, and land usage, and then, by law, make an accurate assessment of what a market price would be for any particular property. 
But she says values are rising so quickly that it's breaking her typical models she uses for calculations. And lots of folks are calling into her office saying their yearly bills are getting unsustainable. People have struggled. People always struggle. But it just didn't seem to be at the level that it is now. And I think that is why, especially now, the legislature has got to look at some alternatives for people. The state of Wyoming used to have a property tax refund program that folks could apply for in the past, but it hasn't been funded for several years due to budget cuts. However, that might change during this upcoming legislative session. I think Representative Yen is the guy that will take us through this bill. Representative Yen, the floor is yours. Sure, thank you, Mr. Chair. Democratic State Representative Mike Yin of Jackson is proposing a county optional refund program that could help offset market forces. As written, the program has a couple of caveats, including that people have to have been a resident of their home for five years or more to qualify, as well as occupy the property for more than nine months out of the year. Yin explained why those rules are on the table during a revenue committee meeting in mid-December. We don't need to grant refunds to second homeowners because second homeowners aren't being at risk of getting kicked out of their funds. The intent here is the people who've lived in the community for a long time. Other county assessors across the state also say now is a pertinent time to pass this kind of bill. For her part, Schinkel says the intent behind Yin's bill is a good one. As assessor, she sometimes hates feeling like the bad guy for sending people a higher bill every spring. I can look at things and say, this isn't right. And, and morally and ethically, I, it kills me because I just I know what what it's going to do to that neighborhood and how it's going to affect those people. They're, they're being forced to sell, even though they're going to make a bajillion dollars, you know, in Teton County. That's not what they want to do. They've lived here. They've raised their children here. They've had businesses here. And now they're faced with having to move because they can't afford their home. And, and that's, that's terrible. That should not be happening. If I sell out and everybody else in the fixed income blue collar workers like me sell out, all there's going to be is the billionaires. And they're going to have to take turns mowing the, each other's grass, I guess, and cleaning their toilets because there wasn't going to be any workers here. Jansen is hopeful a relief bill will pass, but he also says in order for it to actually work for him, it'll need to be a meaningful amount and something he can rely on long term. Meanwhile, at least one Jackson elected official, Vice Mayor Arne Jorgensen, has already testified in favor of Yin's bill. For KHOL News, I'm Will Walkie. A new Mexican-style grocery store called Juanita's Market opened in Victor last August. It's not the first of its kind in Teton Valley, but Latino customers say it's nice to have another place nearby offering a taste of home. KHOL contributor Natalie Shakar has the story. A steady trickle of customers is filing into Juanita's Market on a recent Saturday morning. One man is looking for a piñata. Another is stopping by for tortillas and other groceries. Most are eagerly hoping for a plate of fresh tamales, corn husks stuffed with cheese and jalapeno, or green salsa with chicken. The tamales are known to sell out quickly, so Adrián Morichon was happy to get one. Demasiado rico. I 
variedades de platos mexicanos que son They're really good. Ricos. There are varieties of Mexican dishes that are extremely good. He also says it's nice to have a place in Teton Valley that reminds him of Mexico. Sería más oportunidades para mexicanos. It's another opportunity for Mexicans to eat the foods they like. Tamales are just one of many options at Juanita's Market. The store also sells carnitas, tacos, quesadillas, and other classic Mexican fare. Owner Jose de Jesus Bocardo Susano says the offerings are always expanding, but it took him and his wife Patricia Bocardo some trial and error to figure it all out. We didn't know anything about this business, so little by little we investigated and found some suppliers. And she and I spoke about looking here or there, finding merchandise, finding products. We didn't have anything. Bocaro Susano moved to Teton Valley from the central Mexican state of Tlaxcala about 26 years ago on the recommendation of a friend. He says the idea to open a store came to him long ago when his grandparents ran a market in the small Mexican village of Oyotlipan. My grandmother and my grandfather had a store, and my grandfather died and my grandmother ran the store alone, and she had to close it. And from as long as I can remember, I've been thinking about that. For three years, Bocaro Susano saved up as much money as he could from his second job in construction to finally open a market in Teton Valley. About 17% of the Valley's residents identify as Hispanic or Latino, according to the latest census data. And when he found out about an open storefront in the Togadi Center on Highway 33, just outside of downtown Victor, he says he knew it was the right place. I felt excited and nervous all at the same time. And when we came into the shop for the first time with my wife, we looked at it and you just visualize yourself here inside. I can't explain how I was feeling. It also seemed natural to name the store Juanitas after his grandmother, Juana Susano Cruz. We were all together, my kids, me and my wife, and we were saying, look at the store. We were all very excited. And one day, we didn't know what to name it, but my son said, Juanita's Market, and it's stocked. There are a handful of other Mexican-style grocery stores in Victor and Driggs, many of which primarily serve the local Latino population. But customer Cosme Cayetano Andres says he's happy to have another spot to go. I bought a piñata to give to a boy who was having a birthday today. And sweets and mole. We like mole oaxaqueño because we're from Oaxaca. And tortillas because you can never be without tortillas in a Mexican household. While Bocaro Susano says it's a lot of work to run the store seven days a week, he's proud of his growing business. And he thinks its namesake would be too. Unfortunately, his grandmother passed away some years ago. I think she will be really pleased. I think whatever she is, she will be happy because I feel like she blesses us every day. Juanita's Market is open daily from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. For k News, I'm Natalie Shachar.
If you're just joining us, you're listening to Jackson Unpacked from KJOL. I'm News Director Kyle Mackey, and this is our weekly podcast featuring reporting and interviews on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and the Mountain West. New episodes of Jackson Unpacked drop every Friday on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Coming up next, K-12 Music Director Jack Catlin interviews the Teton Valley-based band Ticket to Space. This conversation was recorded live by phone from the K-12 studios in early January. Cosmic Mountain rock band Ticket to Space brings together some of Teton Valley, Idaho's more accomplished musicians to provide their audience with a diverse range of sounds. Their new album, Outside My Door, is out now and features 10 original songs which convey heady musicianship, conscious lyrics, and smooth grooves. In advance of their show at the Naughty Pine in Victor, Idaho, bassist David Bundy and guitarist Tom Toxby join us now in the KHOL studios. You're all seasoned musicians playing in a variety of local bands. How does that experience translate to creating new material with Ticket to Space? I play with a lot for a lot of singer-songwriters, Aaron Davis being one uh, that I've been playing with for a long time. So as you back up people, you notice their songwriting techniques. Sometimes, you know, their skills at songwriting and what you find you like and and can kind of take from them. So for me, it's been a, a nice changeover for me to try and write my own songs based, you know, coming from playing a lot of other people's songs. Yeah, and I think our, our musical experiences really come out in the songs we write because it isn't just one genre. You know, we add some funk in there, some reggae, some rock and roll. Yeah. You get a little heavier at times. You get a little prog rocky at times. You know, I played in a lot of bands in Denver for 15 years before moving out here uh, about seven years ago. I played in a reggae band. I played in a jazz quartet. You know, so it's an amalgamation of all these influences which really influence our writing and, and hopefully make the songs interesting, you know. We really write the music for ourselves. So when we're in practice and we come up with a cool part, like, yeah, that was awesome. Coming from so many different backgrounds and influences really kind of gels into the music. And uh, we hope people like it as much as we enjoy making it. Yeah, and I think this this band has enabled me to get break out of when I first tried to start writing songs, I'm thinking, like, who, who am I writing this for? What, what am I writing this for? But I started just to write for me and found out that these guys liked what I was doing. So that that encouraged me to do more. So like he said, we're writing what we want to do and just going that route. <laughs> With one of the tracks on the album called Powder Day, not to mention the snowstorm we're experiencing right now, you obviously draw inspiration from the surrounding mountains. Can you expand on that for us? I've been skiing since I was four years old. It's one of my great passions in life. And um, I moved up to these mountains after living in Colorado for a number of years, to experience more powder days and the wonder of, of just being out in the mountains during the winter. And for me, there's no greater connection as a human being than being in the mountains, on the snow, sliding, gliding, flying through the trees, on the slopes. It's just a total feeling of contentment, satisfaction, and really of life. And so the song Powder Day is really about that feeling that it's really hard to express, but it's also well, kind of easy to express because it's so great um, <laughs> that, you know, that you get charging down the mountain, throwing the snow in your face with face shots, you know, following all the weather reports. We have a great local weatherman over here, Bruce, who does daily reports on, on the weather. Um, and it really is just an ode to powder skiing, mountain living, 
and uh, the enjoyment of life and satisfaction that, that brings. You know, it's also living every day to the fullest. We have too many distractions in life, and there's nothing like getting out on a powder day, getting up in the mountains, being solely focused on getting those turns in. And I think that's what brings a lot of people here to the mountains and what we're all about. Yeah, and I think, you know, we see that in the creative community that we have between both Teton Valleys, you know, with musicians and, and artists alike all around. I think we have a lot of them here because of the inspiration that so many of us get from the mountains. Well, that's one track off the album. Another track is the last track I played that I wanted you guys to touch on. Really interesting theme and topic, Kung Fu Click Farm. Can you uh, tell us more about the writing process yeah, of that of that track? The Kung Fu Click Farm, um, I was reading an article online, and it had a picture of this thousands of cell phones all lined up on racks in this warehouse. And they're all simultaneously liking and visiting websites creating artificial human traffic where there really was none, you know, to generate a product or, a, you know, whatever it is to promote someone on the web. So the song's really about that. It's about a person who's got this product. No one's really interested in it. So he hires the Kung Fu Click Farm to create all this artificial human traffic. All of a sudden, people are aware of his product and they start buying it and he's off to the races and has a huge success. So it's kind of a, a unique theme as far as, uh, you know, the world we live in and, you know, is everything really real or not? Like if I go to a page and that has a million likes, is that really a million humans that went there and like that? Mm -hmm. Or is that all robotic? So it's, it's really, that's what the song is really about. It's got some of our heavier moments with that big frog tone. That's a guitar part, by the way, got this crazy effect on it. Um, it goes to a funk version and that kind of goes to some power chords for the chorus. It's really uplifting. It's kind of a kind of a sinister message underneath underlying some positive chord changes you know that really hopefully uh you know <laughs> has people ask questions <laughs> you can hear ticket to space right here on khol during our local music hour that airs every day of the week but sunday from 3 to 4 p.m make sure to visit 891khol.org for more music news and culture i'm jack catlin and this is khol jackson Our last story today is part of a reporting project with Rocky Mountain Community Radio about the transition away from fossil fuels. For nearly a century, Colorado's North Fork Valley relied on coal for high-paying jobs and a thriving economy. But as the mines close their doors, they leave behind a troubling legacy, leaking methane, a greenhouse gas that's about 80 times more potent than carbon dioxide. Now, one entrepreneur in the Valley is using his business to address methane emissions while also tackling other environmental problems. Stephanie Maltrich of KVNF in Paonia, Colorado, reports. Eric Edwards maneuvers his machine through sandy sediment in the mudflats on Paonia Reservoir. He was hired by Delta Brick and Climate Company to collect 40 cubic yards, about four dump truck loads of sediment from the reservoir. You know, this, this you got another six inches that you know is good because 
we didn't take from this area last time. Yeah, there's your... In 2017, Chris Kasky founded Delta Brick and Climate Company, which manufactures tile and brick. The company also operates with a mission to find solutions to environmental problems in the North Fork Valley while creating jobs in a transitioning economy. The first problem Delta Brick tackled was the excess sediment in Paonia Reservoir. The sediment creates a high-quality clay they now use to make tile and brick. All of the water that is stored is committed to go to farms downstream from here in the Paonia Hotchkiss area. So this mud and sediment that has filled in has made about a third of that storage capacity go away. And so their irrigation season has shortened. Then, Kasky brainstormed solutions to manage the methane that leaks from abandoned coal mines in the area. A 2016 study by Colorado's Energy Office found that nearly 20 abandoned coal mines in and around the North Fork Valley have the highest potential for methane capture than any other former mines in the state. So the coal mines are leaky. They leak all over the mountainside, primarily from old mine shafts and portals, but also from cracks in the geology. We would like to start using the sediment in the reservoir to seal off these leaks. After a couple of years of research and conversations with stakeholder groups, Kasky, who is also a chemist, has found a way to address both problems with one solution. He wants to seal the leaking mines with plugs manufactured with sediment. And that'll make our methane capture systems more efficient, keep more methane out of the atmosphere. And essentially eliminate methane leaking from the mines, keeping in line with new global standards. A few days after it was collected, a dump truck full of sediment arrives at Delta Bricks factory, located in a large, airy warehouse near downtown Montrose. Two employees manage the factory's day-to-day -day operations, from mixing clay, firing kilns, and glazing tile. Evan Barrett is the production manager, and he appreciates working for a company with a business model focused on solutions. It's a creative idea just in the way it is. Um, really trying to make the maximum amount of impact from all different angles, you know, not just the watershed issues and water storage, but also the methane, but also creating jobs in coal communities. Delta Brick has seen a steady growth in brick and tile sales over the past year, but Kasky says grants from various state agencies have been essential to keeping the business running. He commends Colorado's leadership in supporting communities in transition. Colorado has been great and it's a first in the nation to have actual resources and, and humans thinking about how to make this transition good for other people and good for communities. Wade Buchanan, the director of the Office of Just Transition, created in the state in 2019, says he is inspired by creative solutions like Delta Brick because it's important for individuals and communities to decide what they want to do moving forward. If we came into a situation and said, okay, you guys are mine workers who are being displaced. Here are three kinds of jobs you can have, and we're going to work with you on those three kinds of jobs. It would have limit, limited their future. It would have limited the community's future. Kasky agrees it's not about telling people what to do. It's about an appropriate response. You know, the correct relationship to this reservoir is to try to get the mud out that comes in. And the correct relationship with these abandoned coal mines is not to totally abandon them, but to uh, capture that methane and keep it out of the atmosphere. And the correct relationship to the coal communities is not to leave the people behind, but to bring them along in a just transition. Kasky says Delta Brick's next step is to move the factory to an abandoned coal mine in Somerset, where they will use captured methane to power brick and tile operations. Reporting for KVNF and Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Stephanie Maltrich.
Now for the weekly news roundup. Here are the headlines you might have missed this past week. Governor Mark Gordon has officially petitioned the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to remove the Greater Yellowstone Ecosystem's population of grizzly bears from the endangered species list, his office announced Tuesday. The move follows a similar petition filed by Montana last month. KHOL previously interviewed supervisor of the large carnivore section of the Wyoming Game and Fish Department, Dan Thompson, who supports the delisting effort and says it would not strip protections from the bears. This is a natural step in the evolution of conservation of grizzly bears. Thompson also addressed the opposition to delisting grizzlies, which has been expressed by several environmental organizations and indigenous communities across the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. Some of it is a belief system that grizzly bears should never be delisted. And I guess to me, that's an affront to the notions of the Endangered Species Act. The Fish and Wildlife Service has 90 days to review the petitions from Wyoming and Montana. The agency also completed a five-year status review of grizzlies in the lower 48 last March and recommended that the bears continue to be listed as threatened. Local elected officials heard from many of Teton County's most vital human services organizations during a joint town and county meeting Monday. For many nonprofits around the Valley, staffing remains an issue, strained further by the biggest surge of COVID-19 cases at any point during the pandemic. We've had no response whatsoever to any of the ads we're running in the paper. Unfortunately, COVID management is quickly taking urgency over our mission-driven work. Several town organizations are raising salaries to try and attract workers to no avail. Others plan on expanding their budget requests at the county or town level to compensate for uncertain funding from the state. By and large, nonprofit leaders say the needs of the community are up across the board, including for behavioral health care, food delivery, and housing assistance. Jackson Hole officials are beginning to discuss what, if anything, should be on a special purpose excise tax or SPET ballot in upcoming elections. Whatever is agreed upon could result in much-needed capital needs investments in Teton County. Speaking during a joint meeting with local elected officials Monday, Teton County Commissioner Mark Newcomb said he supports long-term planning projects at the school district as funding from Cheyenne becomes more uncertain. The source of revenue for the school district's capital needs has shrank, if not completely evaporated, elsewhere in the state, and the burden is falling on the community now, and I think we really have to put the needs of a growing school district reflecting our growing community at the forefront of our spent item discussions. What exactly will make it onto citizens' ballots is still a ways off from being figured out, as officials also need to decide when they want to put these initiatives up to a vote, either in a special or general election. A local artist is representing Northwest Wyoming in a unique exhibit in Casper. Suzanne Morlock of Wilson is one of 10 artists from across the state featured in immersive installations. Morlock's installation is called Uncontained, the Dance of the Chronically Ill, and is inspired by her family's lived experience. This particular piece highlights using a lot of medical detritus um, that I've saved through the years because I like to use recycled, repurposed material. I feel like there's a lot of power in these actual items. Morlock also uses her work as a platform to advocate for Medicaid expansion in Wyoming, a move that passed the State House of Representatives for the first time last year, but was then killed by a Senate committee. 
The issue is expected to be considered again during the upcoming budget session starting in February. That's it for today on Jackson Unpacked. Original music for the show is by the local band Strumbucket. As a reminder, you can help us spread the word about Jackson Unpacked by leaving a rating and a review for the show in Apple Podcasts. I'm Kyle Mackey, and this is KHOL Jackson. Jackson.